At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you guys again. It's an honor to share with you from God's Word. We're going to continue to worship by opening up God's Word this morning. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, we're in the letter of 1 Peter one more time. Uh, This is our last message from the book of 1 Peter. Just looked at the first two chapters, just this nice chunk. Um, And uh, next week is is a campus uh, pastor choice. And then after that, we'll begin our Advent series. So if you can believe it, super excited. We're going to survey the Old Testament um, and the different covenants in the Old Testament leading up to Christmas. So it's going to be an awesome uh, season of remembering the fulfillment uh, that has occurred with the coming of Christ um, leading to the cross and his resurrection. So it's going to be awesome. Um, But one more time, we're in uh, the letter of 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter writing to this scattered churches throughout the Middle East, and we're in chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Um, So a really important verse occurs in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Those two verses really help set the stage for for what follows in the immediate aftermath, after chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. So you remember in chapter 2, verse 12, he says to the churches, conduct yourselves with honor among the Gentiles. So he's talking to them about how they are to live amongst the watching world. The world is going to be watching you, church, and you need to live in a certain way. Why? Conduct yourselves among the Gentiles honorably so that they may see your good conduct and glorify God on the day of his visitation. So nothing less is at stake with how we conduct ourselves than the glory of God. Huge implications for this. So he's talking about how we are to live before the watching world. Conduct yourselves honorably so that when they see your good deeds, they would glorify God with us, so that they would be drawn in to this God-glorifying community. And then he's going to address a few different specific situations we're in whereby we need to conduct ourselves honorably. So the first one is chapter 2, right after this, chapter 2, verse 13, and the verses going forward relating to how we conduct ourselves in relation to the government, a pagan government. These first century Christians lived under non-believing rulers, the Roman Empire. How do we relate to our non-Christian rulers? There's a certain way we should do that. He says, be subject to your rulers for the Lord's sake. It's going to be difficult because they're not Christian in any sort of way. Nevertheless, we, need, we still need to submit to them in light, of the fear of the, in light of the fear of God. So that's the first area of obedience that we need to carry out faithfully in order to conduct ourselves honorably before the watching world. The next two areas are two specific groups of people that would have had a hard time getting along following Christ in the world. The first were servants or slaves, and the second were wives. So servants were literally owned by a master. This was very common in the Roman Empire, this system of slavery. It's not quite the same as the system of slavery that existed in this country for so long, 
The system of slavery that existed here was based on race. In the Roman Empire, it was not so much. It was usually socioeconomic status that could get you stuck as a slave. But slaves were in a very vulnerable position because they were owned. They had to submit to, very often, non-Christian masters. So how do I get along in this relationship? Um, You'll notice that nowhere within the New Testament do the apostles commend the system of slavery. Nowhere do they say slavery is a good thing. Um, But they do say, hey, here's how you can get along. Here's how you should get along as a slave. And eventually, thank God, the system of slavery was abolished as the gospel had more and more of an impact within the Roman Empire. The other group of people that were in a vulnerable spot that we're not going to get to look at because our sermon series is ending here is wives. Wives were in a very vulnerable position because husbands were much more so than they are today, the one in control. And wives were definitely expected to follow the religion of their husbands. If they didn't, it was a scandal. It was a scandal for a man's wife not to have the same religion as him. So how does a Christian wife get along with a non-Christian husband to whom she's supposed to follow his religion? Really important question that they were having to wrestle with. So that's why he's addressing these two specific groups because they were gonna have trouble They were going to face some difficult questions. The same thing with all of us as it relates to our government. Sometimes there's some dicey situations, and it's hard to know what to do. And so the apostles addressing these these tricky situations, and it's really powerful. For slaves, he points to the example of Christ, and for wives, he points to the example of Sarah, this Old Testament matriarch. So in each one of these, he gives a specific Example, it's really powerful. Again, I wish we were gonna look at 1 Peter 3, but we're looking at 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. So let's see what we can learn from what the apostle says to these servants or slaves. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle masters, but also to the unjust ones. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Joseph was a favorite son of the patriarch Jacob. And this is pretty impressive when you consider the fact that Jacob had 
12 sons in all. Joseph, for whatever reason, was highly favored and celebrated by his dad. And as you can imagine, and as you're already aware, if you know this story from Genesis chapter 36 through 50, Joseph's 11 brothers envied him, envied him to the point of plotting to kill him, but then mercifully, mercifully selling him into slavery in Egypt. So off Joseph goes, bound in chains, to live a life of bondage, betrayed by his brothers. But the author of Genesis repeats this phrase over and over. The Lord was with Joseph. So then in Egypt, as a slave, Joseph faithfully serves to the point of being elevated as the number one slave to the queen in Egypt, serving in the lush confines of the palace. But as those in power are wont to do, the queen abuses her power, forcing herself on Joseph physically. But in faithfulness to the Lord and to the king, Joseph famously flees the advances of the queen. Well, offended as she was, the queen accuses Joseph of sexual harassment and has Joseph thrown into the deepest dungeon in Egypt. But Joseph continues to faithfully serve such that the keeper of the prison puts Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. And remarkably, at the end of Genesis chapter 39, where he's telling this story, the author of Genesis comments, whatever Joseph did, the Lord caused it to succeed. And this is why you still have so many parents naming their sons Joseph, because the original Joe walked closely with the Lord. And another part of his legacy and why he's relevant to the sermon this morning is that Joseph continually, patiently endured being treated unfairly. Patiently endure being treated unfairly. He's treated unfairly by his brothers. He's treated unfairly by the queen. And we didn't get to this part of the story, but Joseph is eventually betrayed and treated unfairly once more by the king's chief cupbearer. And through all of it, Joseph patiently endures. And what we're seeing today in 1 Peter chapter 2 is that the need for God's people to patiently endure unfair treatment still stands. Though our new covenant status in Christ is full of advantages, chief among them being the assurance of Christ's work on the cross and the giving of his Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, despite the advantages we have, even still we have not escaped the need to patiently endure being treated unfairly, unjustly. And the group most susceptible to this sort of treatment were slaves, or as it's translated here in the ESV, servants. Servants, like employees today, report to their employer. They answer to their employer. So the servant master or employer has a lot of power. And so there's a lot of opportunity for that power to be abused. And unlike us today, we generally have the freedom to change jobs if we don't like our boss. Well, servants did not. They were property permanently owned by their masters. So what do they do? Were they to use their freedom in Christ to exert 
their power themselves, rebel, break the terms of their employment with their master? Well, many were tempted to do that. See, for example, the New Testament book of Philemon. It's the last of Paul's 13 letters. And what we find out in this letter to Philemon and in Peter's instructions here is that these servants were not to rebel. They were rather to patiently endure being treated unfairly. So let's look at this in the text itself. Verse 18, the apostle begins his address to servants by saying, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good ones, not only to the gentle ones, but also be subject to the unjust ones. For this is a gracious thing when you're mindful of God and endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. Not resist, not rebel, not fight back. Be subject. Even when they're unjust, even when they make you suffer unjustly, he says, remain mindful of God and endure. And in this way, these first century slaves are examples for all of us today. Graciously and largely due to the influence of the gospel, I would argue slavery is unconscionable today, and most of us are not in danger of being enslaved as these first century Christians were, but this does not mean we're exempt from being treated unfairly. The systems of the world are broken. People in the world are broken, and we are as in danger as ever of being treated unjustly. How will we respond? With rage, with bitterness, with physical violence, with verbal violence? Well, the call of the gospel is clear. And the instruction of the scriptures is clear. Patiently endure being treated unfairly. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not to work to promote justice more broadly across society. Of course we should. When and where we have appropriate and legal opportunity to change the systems of the world, we should. The issue for these first century slaves is that they had no opportunity for legal recourse. And even though we might have appropriate and legal opportunities to right certain wrongs, that still doesn't change the fact that our default posture towards being treated unfairly is to patiently endure, not to seek vengeance, not to meet blow for blow, but patiently, faithfully, humbly endure with those who treat us unfairly. And as we unpack the rest of these verses, we're gonna see two reasons we should endure like this. The apostle bases his call for us to endure on two reasons. The first one is to receive the reward of grace. Patiently endure unjust suffering in order to receive the reward of grace. So look again at verse 20. Peter asks the rhetorical question. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? So you can think of the answer to that question. What credit is it to you as a person if you sin and are punished for your sin and you endure? Peter's saying, no credit for that. You deserved the punishment you got. Oh, you accepted the punishment you justly deserved. Well, good, but that's baseline expectation. There's no particular credit for that. You got what you deserved. However, look again at verse 20. 
No credit for sinning and being rightly punished for it, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Ah, so it is credit if you endure while suffering for righteousness sake. Peter says literally, it is grace in the sight of God when you endure suffering because of your righteous behavior. It is credit before God. It is graciously rewarded before God. So within the Roman Empire, these slaves were the refuse of society. But here the apostle says they are rewarded by God. Within that culture, they had no credit. That's why many of them sold themselves into slavery because they were bankrupt. But they received credit from God. They received grace from the Lord if they patiently endure their mistreatment. And with this teaching on reward for faithfulness, Peter is simply echoing the teaching of his rabbi, the Lord Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 35. Jesus says this to his disciples. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? And that word translated there, benefit, is the same word translated as grace in 1 Peter chapter 2, the Greek word charis. If you love those who love you, what grace is that to you? What benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. So Jesus and the apostle are each saying, Obedience to God is not simply for obedience's sake. In other words, they say, obey, they, I'm sorry, in other words, they don't say, obey because you're supposed to obey. Endure unjust suffering because you're supposed to endure unjust suffering. No, they each say, walk the path of obedience, endure through persecution because this is the way to reward. Not earthly rewards necessarily, but heavenly rewards. You may not get a reward from man for your patient endurance, but you will be rewarded by God. This is grace. This is to your benefit, to your credit, if while doing good and suffering, you endure. Unlike so many of the hard-nosed, tough-minded men from generations past, I grew up in the day and age of the participation trophy. You guys are familiar with this. Participation trophies are given to, you guessed it, every participant in youth sports leagues. Not for achieving victory, not for overcoming obstacles, not for enduring the struggle, but simply for participating. But I will say this. I asked my four-year-old son his favorite part about playing in his soccer league just a couple years ago, and without hesitation, he answered these two things. First, the snack he got after each game, which was generally a Capri Sun and some goldfish crackers, and the other part that was favorite to him was the participation trophy. That's right, these flimsy, fake, cheap, forgettable, corny trophies actually work. 
They motivate youth sport leagues participants to participate. Now, I bring that up to contrast. How much more should we be motivated by the rewards of God? Now, there are some pretty impressive rewards of man. The Lombardi Trophy if you win the Super Bowl, the giant check you get if you win Publishers Clearinghouse, but even still, they pale in comparison to the rewards of heaven. They are a participation trophy in comparison to the rewards of heaven. And our heavenly reward can motivate us to patiently endure being treated unfairly. When we're treated unfairly, it's easy to focus on the reward of getting payback on our enemy. The apostle says, don't focus on payback. Don't focus on revenge. And said, here's where our focus should be. There is reward in heaven for those who persevere, who patiently endure being treated unjustly. This is grace. This is credit. If while doing good and suffering for it, you endure. A second reason Peter lays out why we should patiently endure. He says, because it shows the way of Christ. Patiently endure being treated unfairly because it shows the world, it shows the watching world, the way of Christ. Look once more at verse 21. Peter writes, for to this, namely enduring through being treated unfairly, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So the apostle confirms here that when Jesus died for us, he not only accomplished our forgiveness, he also left us an example. And here the word for example is the Greek word hupagramas. And here's the dictionary from Strong's New Testament dictionary. Here's the entry. Hupogrammas. A writing copy, including all the letters of the alphabet, given to beginners as an aid in learning to draw each letter. And you can hear in that Greek word, hupogrammas, that gram is where we get the word grammar today. So again... A hupogrammas was a tool laid out the example, the standard for how to write each letter. And students were to refer to that example and copy them, helping them to eventually learn each letter in the alphabet. Well, Peter uses that word and that concept related to the example Christ has left us, specifically as it regards how he endured being treated unfairly. To this you have been called. Enduring unfair treatment because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, an example for you to follow, to copy. So what is Christ's example? How did he respond to those who treated him unjustly? Peter continues in verses 22 through 23. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Friends, the most unjust act in human history, and there's been a lot of injustice, 
the most unjust act in human history was the crucifixion of the Son of God. In fact, I don't even think it's possible to do anything more unjust than crucify God in the flesh. You cannot dream up a more unjust thing than to crucify God in the flesh. And still, unjust as it was, experiencing this ultimately unfair treatment, Jesus committed no sin in response to it. Jesus did not retaliate. He didn't revile back at his reviles, revilers. He didn't even verbally threaten those who killed him. Instead, what did he do? Peter says, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In other words, he said, I'm going to trust my father. He will make all wrongs right, and so I don't have to. I can wait on him. I can trust in him. I can patiently endure being treated unfairly because my father is just, and he will accomplish justice. Church, that's our example that we are called to copy. Those are the footsteps we're supposed to walk in. The cross not only shows us how to get saved, it shows us how to treat people. Even people who treat us terribly, especially people who treat us terribly. The temptation is to want to fight fire with fire, to go blow for blow, but the apostle points us to another way. He points us to the cross. Jesus had every right to judge us. Jesus had every right to judge us, but instead he set his rights aside and was judged for us. Look at what Peter says there at the very next verse. Verse 24. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body. Just feel the weight of that. Jesus bore your sins in his body. Your drunkenness was bore in the body of Christ. Your fits of rage were bore into the body of Christ. Your sexual misconduct, your financial misconduct, your unfaithfulness, your foolishness, your lies, your envy, your lust, your hate, your idolatry, your addictions was bore into the body of Christ. He had every right to judge us, but he chose a different path. He was judged for us, saving us from the judgment we deserved and transforming us so that as Peter puts it, we would no longer live to sin, but that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. In other words, Peter's point is, it worked. 
Jesus' path of sacrifice, humility, patient endurance in the face of injustice, it worked. It saved us, transformed us, healed us. So he's saying, now you walk that path. You show people the way of Christ and it will work. Your example of sacrifice will leave a powerful impression on the hearts of those who persecute you and they will wonder, where did you learn to sacrifice like that? Why why do you put up with being treated so unfairly? How can you still maintain grace and patience with people? And we can say one word, Jesus. Jesus has shown us the way. So brothers and sisters, we've got to ask ourselves, who were you tempted to show payback to? Who are you tempted to retaliate at? Does the desire for revenge and fighting back exist in your heart? These are powerful desires. And it feels so right. It feels so natural to want to get even, make things right, take justice into our own hands. But church, if this is how we operate, we're not a witness to the world. If this is how we operate, we're just like the world. The world is filled with examples of bitter, hateful, enraged, oftentimes violent attempts to get Even if we want to make an impact on our world and in our relationship, we've got to show them the example of Christ. We've got to show them a willingness to be wronged and not insist on getting even. We've got to more and more identify with the cross. This is why, one of the reasons why we continually every month celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper. Because we want to say, this is what marks us as a people. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus. It was not fair for his body to be broken. It was wrong for his blood to be spilled. But it's that body and that blood that saved us from our sins. And it's that act of enduring patiently that now informs how we treat others. Church, by the power of the Spirit inside us, knowing the heavenly reward of grace that awaits us, following the way of Christ, patiently endure being treated unfairly. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Church, let's stand to prepare to respond in song. And I'll pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we come before you (laughs) humbled this morning. As we gaze in our minds the path to Calvary, a path we never would have chose for ourselves, a path that was not even, was, was not easy even for Jesus to walk. But God, we thank you that he did. We thank you, Father, for the precious blood of Christ. 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Father, we still look at that path with fear, with doubt, with struggle, as as we know you now call us to walk it, to bear our cross, to follow in this way of enduring patiently, even when we're treated unjustly. And so God, we call on you for all the strength of heaven, for the fullness of your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts that we may follow Christ, that we may persevere through the worst betrayals, through the deepest possible pain. God, may we persevere committing no sin to those who sin against us, not reviling back when we're reviled at, but persevering in faithfulness and humility, extending grace even. God, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, this last song, I I want you to be ready for this. This last song is a prayer. Every single word of it. It's all addressed from you to the Father. So sing it like that. Own it like that. Ask it like that. God, make me more like Jesus. Hear us, Lord. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.